forgot to make mention earlier. <clears throat> you, you probably, if you've been here in the last couple weeks, you know we've got coming up in, in two weeks. We've got Easter Sunday. We're going to be having two services that day just to try to accommodate what typically is a runover crowd. We well, a lot of times we'll have people sitting in the vestibule area out there, and it's just it's it's not ideal if you understand what I mean. So for that one Sunday. We're going to offer two services, 9 and 10.30, but we're going to need some help. I've mentioned this before. Uh, you, you can let us know that, you know, maybe maybe you'd like to serve at one of the services. You know, hey, I'm available to serve at the 9 o'clock service, or I can stick around and I can serve at the 10.30 service. If you wouldn't mind to let me know that, you can indicate it. If you want to use a little Connect card that's in the, 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 the uh, little tray there uh, in the back of the pew, you can let me know I'm willing to serve at this service. If you're already scheduled to serve that day, you don't have to let me know. We understand you're already going to be serving one of those and we're not asking you to double up hopefully what we've got is the opportunity for you not only to to serve but then to of course attend the other worship service and and be a part of that but i forgot to mention that earlier we do need some help we'll need some help with things like ushers and greeters and uh, our security team and some parking lot folks and just making sure that we've got some friendly faces around and so if you're not a friendly face please don't sign up but but uh, but if, if you can if you can help us with that we would we would certainly appreciate it you may not know where you want to serve and that's okay but if you could just let me know hey I'm willing to serve I'll be in touch with you or somebody will to let you know here's where we really could use you can you help us with that and so uh, so anyway that's that's coming up on Easter Sunday. I would hope that you'll be in prayer uh, for Easter Sunday. It is the time of year really when most folks, if they're going to go to church any time of year, they they will likely choose to go on Easter. And so we want to make sure that we, we have as much space as possible for people to to join us and to be introduced to the message of, uh, of the cross and the resurrection. And that's what they'll get. I told our folks this past Wednesday night that if you invite somebody to come to church with you on Easter Sunday, then I promise you, I will not get on them for only showing up on Easter Sunday. You understand what I mean? I, have you ever been in a church that, that somebody did that? I was in a, my, my home church, a huge church in Louisville. And the first thing the pastor said, I, I've told you this before, was he'd like to welcome our CEOs. He said, our Christmas and Easter onlys. And I want to crawl under the pew. I said, you don't do that to guests. You don't do that. But anyway, I will not be getting on them for only showing up. All I'm going to do is try to help them understand the truth of the gospel. All right? So we make that deal. If you want to invite some folks, that's what they'll receive. And you know they'll receive a, a warm, loving atmosphere that Sunday morning. So we're we're asking if you can attend one of those services and serve at the other, if possible. If you've already got a Sunday school class or something that's meeting, that's fine. But if you can attend one, serve one. And just so you know, for folks that you might be inviting, and it's certainly for our people as well here, we're going to be offering some free family portraits after each service. And so if you've got family, even if you're a family of one, you want to have your picture made that day, that's fine. We'll, we'll be offering those that will be over in the gym. We're going to have some coffee and donuts and so on set up. And maybe, maybe for some folks that will be a helpful way to say, look, you can come have your picture made. We're going to give everybody a free print of that. And, uh, and they should be able to have some access. If they want to print some more of those as well. So that's going to happen on Easter Sunday, just so you know. All right. If you got any questions about Easter, I don't have any answers. No, I'm just, if you got any questions, I'll be hanging out after the service. By all means, ask me, I'm, I'm going to pray because I need to collect myself for just a second, if it's okay, uh, because it's been one of those mornings and nothing wrong with it, but it's just the way it is. And so I do want the Lord to speak through what he's got for us this morning. And so I'm going to pray mainly, uh, and it may sound selfish, but I'm going to pray for myself uh, that uh, the Lord would clear my mind and pray for you uh, that the Lord would put into your hearts and mind what he wants us to hear. All right, so let's pray. Heavenly Father, I uh, do pray that you clear my mind this morning. Uh, Lord, not in a selfish way so that, that I could be approved this morning, but Lord, so that your word could be clearly understood. 
Lord, may we receive it in the midst of of, uh, such a different morning. Uh, Lord, may we receive what you have for us. Help us, Lord, to understand it. We thank you for your word and for uh, for how it changes our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When I, when I was a kid and then a teenager, and you may have had some of these similar experiences, uh, I got to be in some plays at church. And I remember in the third grade in my Sunday school class, I was picked to be Nehemiah. I was Nehemiah in the, the little Sunday school play that we put on. And so we had, I don't know if you remember old time Sunday school, we had these little brick looking cardboard box things and we stacked these things up. And so my role, I had no speaking part. My role was to inspect the walls. Third grade me, I was eight years old and I was real serious about inspecting these walls. And that's all I had to do. I just walked back and forth and they filmed me and, you know, that was it. That was our play, I guess. I don't know. But then when I was in the sixth grade, I got to play a friar, like a monk, in a play that we put on our youth choir, our children's choirs, about good King Wenceslas. And I was the monk. And I had this really long thing to memorize. And, and that was all I could do. See, I couldn't sing. And so they give me stuff like, hey, memorize this and say it. And I'm like, okay, I don't mind being on stage, so I'll memorize it and say it. And so that was their way of, you know, kind of making sure I didn't try out for a solo or whatever, you know, and, and so I, I remember, remember doing that. And then when I was a, I think it was a junior in high school, we had a youth choir and we did a dinner theater for our church. And, and I was, I was always in a choir. You know, I mean, you guys don't even know. I was always in the choir and, and I was terrible, but I was, I was there. I showed up. And so uh, they would use me, you know, how it is a choir, just warm bodies, you know, that's what you get typically. And so anyway, I, I showed up and, and they gave me this part. I played a kid named Nate. And I don't know why I remember this, but I, I played a kid named Nate, and I was so excited because it was one of the lead roles that didn't have to sing. And so I thought, okay, I can, you know, I can do this. And, and, and I remember playing those roles, and maybe, maybe you did something like that when you were younger. And you try to get into character, and you take on, you know, I was really going to be serious like Nehemiah was. And, and then I was this friar, and of course I look more like a friar now, you know, than I did back then. And, and, and then I was Nate, you know, trying to be this, this particular character and so on. And, and maybe you know what it's like to try to try to get into character. What you're trying to do is to prove to the audience that you really are that person. That's what you're trying to prove. You've seen great movies and great acting roles and so on. And the actor, the actress really makes you think they are that person. I mean, they look like them and they take on their mannerisms and their characteristics and so on. And that's the whole goal of acting, of being on the stage, is to prove to everybody that you are who you're trying to portray that you are. Now, in, in a much more serious and real sense, there are many of us here today, I would guarantee you that at least half of us here today are still on the stage in life, if you will. We learned from an early age to perform. To prove things to people. Because you know what happens when you perform? You get their approval and you get applause and you get love and so on. And some learned this morning, some learned long ago and you're here this morning, you learned that the the best way that you can get love and approval is to perform and to act the right way and to do the right things. And so you're still on that proverbial stage. And maybe that's where you've shown up this morning and here you are and you've, you've constantly through your life been trying to prove something to people. Maybe it's prove something to God. Maybe it's prove something to your friends and family or to your church family or your preacher or whomever. Maybe it's just proving it to yourself. But you've been congratulated and rewarded throughout your life and now you know how to get that and boy, don't we crave it. And I think nowhere is the temptation to perform like we're on a stage greater than in our religious lives. 
Nowhere is that temptation greater because even in good religious things, good Christian things, we can use those and turn those things into something to try to get attention and to, to prove ourselves with. And if you think that going into ministry helps you escape all of that, I can tell you for sure it only amplifies it. It only exacerbates the problem if there is one within you that you are now on stage every Sunday morning. We are learn, we learn very well, we're taught throughout our lives. Maybe you've heard things like, you know what, you need to act like a Christian. That's not how Christians act. That's not how we act. And you know what we learn is to do just that, to act like a Christian. What does that mean? You know what it means. You do this, you don't do that, you make sure to say this, and you walk in the door at church, how you doing? I'm fine, brother. Good to see you. How are you doing? Oh, I'm fine. You act like a Christian, right? You do the right things, and you say the right things, and you put on the right face. But as Jesus is going to show us from Matthew chapter 6, and really throughout his whole life and throughout the Bible, the people in his kingdom don't have to put on a show. You don't have anything to prove, and so you should and you can get off the stage. And I really think this is a message not only for myself, but I think for one, like I said, for at least half the people here who have bought into the lie that you've got to prove something in your life and that you need to be on this stage performing. From the very outset of his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus shoots holes in our need really to prove ourselves. If you, if you remember from the very beginning when we started this study on the Sermon on the Mount, we looked at Matthew 5, the first few verses. Jesus begins that and he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. He talks about those who are humble, those who are gentle, those who seek righteousness, those who are persecuted, those who are peacemakers. It doesn't sound like those are the kinds of people that are out trying to prove themselves. And Jesus says, those are the people in my kingdom. And then he goes on and he says, essentially over a period of a few verses, he says, you've heard it said, clean yourself up on the outside. But let me tell you, that stuff doesn't matter. It's all useless and pointless if your heart's not changed. You can try to prove yourself, he says, to everybody else on the outside. But if your heart's not changed, then none of it matters. So all along, he's really been kind of, he's hinting at something. He's kind of hinting at our tendency to, to put on a religious show, uh, to try and, and prove that we, we have it all together. But that's not the kind of people that have a place in God's kingdom, he says. The, the people of the kingdom have gotten to the point where they know they can't prove anything. And so they're just poor in spirit. Uh, they're mournful, repentant over their sin, and now they just want pure righteousness from the inside out. They, they've given up trying to prove anything about themselves to anyone, and now they just want Jesus. And I really think that's one of those underlying themes that he's getting at here is, you know what, you guys are trying to do all this stuff on the outside, trying to prove who you are, and you don't have to do that. In chapter 6, where we'll pick up this morning, he continues this theme of what the kinds of people in his kingdom are like. If you've got your Bible, go ahead and turn if, you, if you're not already there. Matthew chapter 6. If you've got a Bible, it's the first book in the New Testament. The Bible's divided Old and New Testament. You can check it out. Matthew chapter 6. If you've got a tablet or a smartphone, get there as well. It's fine. Matthew chapter 6. Jesus gives us some more idea of what the people of his kingdom are like. And he talks here in these first few verses about just some normal religious activities that people are going to do. 
And then he gives three of them. Let me just read through this real quick and, and then we'll kind of break this apart. He says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of people to be seen by them. Otherwise, you will have no reward from your father in heaven. So whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be applauded by people. I assure you, they've got their reward. But when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. I assure you, they've got their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will will reward you. When you pray, don't babble like the idolaters, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, because your Father knows the things you need before you ask Him. Therefore, you should pray like this, our Father in heaven. Your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive people their wrongdoing, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive people, your Father will not forgive your wrongdoing. And then he goes on in verse 16. Whenever you fast, don't be sad-faced like the hypocrites. For they make their faces unattractive, so their fasting is obvious to people. I assure you, they've got their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that you so that uh, you don't show your fasting to people, but to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. You may have heard these verses before. Jesus here is talking about some very normal religious activities, giving, praying, fasting, things that people were doing back then and things that, that people still do today, sort of spiritual disciplines. And he starts by this in verse one. He says, be careful not to practice your righteousness, those outward signs of your faith in front of people to be seen by them. Your religious stuff, he says. Things you do because of your faith, that outward expression. Now, some people would go back to Matthew 5, 16 and say, now, hold on just a second, time out. Jesus said over there in Matthew 5, 16, to let your light shine before people in such a way that they may what? They may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, he gets here and he says, don't do that stuff in front of people. What's he saying? Well, there's no real contradiction. The motive is the issue. In 516, what's the motive? That they may see our good works and then what? Glorify our Father who is in heaven. Not say, hey, what a great job you did. In, in, in Matthew 6, 1, he says, be careful. Don't do those things in order to be seen by who? By people so that you may get their applause. You understand there's, there's really no discrepancy there. He would say... Don't practice your righteousness in front of people to be seen by them. And he said it because it's a great temptation for us. The temptation to try to prove something to someone, to other people, to ourselves, by doing our our good religious things in such a way that we know we'll be recognized and rewarded for them. Now, I I, I understand and I, I joke with you about you being more spiritual than I am, but maybe you are. Because I find this to be a tremendous temptation, not only as a Christian, but as a pastor. To do things in front of people religiously so that they will approve me. You understand? To to say and to do and to perform and to kind of put on a show and to be literally, here I am on the stage doing things in such a way that I know you'll say to me after the sermon, boy, that was a great sermon. 
I trust me. I know, and it's as sinister as it sounds. I know how to get you to tell me a great sermon after it's over. I've been preaching long enough now. I know how to do that. You know how to make sure that somebody says, "Oh, what a great job you did serving! Oh, it was so wonderful. You're the best VBS worker we've ever had, ever." You're so good at what you do. You you know what I'm talking about. Aren't we that sinister? We know, don't we? We know how to do those things. It's a great temptation. And Jesus clearly tells us here not to seek the approval of others, and as we'll see in a moment, not even to seek our own approval for the spiritual things that we do. Why is that such a problem, trying to prove ourselves spiritually to people? Well, proving ourselves, if you think about it, is unnecessary. It, it, it's, it's not needed. It's, it's, it's something that we don't need to do. If you look at the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, he proved everything to God for us. We have nothing to prove before anyone, especially before God. We have nothing to prove. So it's unnecessary. Not only that, but proving ourselves is, is sinful. It's based on pride. I want to be seen as this or that. Look at me. It's pride. And then also, you know, I think proving ourselves is just really detrimental. Some of you this morning, as I said, you have been walking the path for years, maybe decades, of trying to please people and improve yourself and get their approval. And all it's done is made you more frustrated in your life. Because guess what? That never ends, does it? never ends. And then what it does is take you further and further and further away from the grace of God who says, you don't have to prove anything to me. I love you because you exist. I sent my son to die for you because you're imperfect. So stop trying so hard to prove yourself. It leads us further and further away, doesn't it? So you have nothing to prove, Jesus says, as you see there in your outline. So get off this stage that we're on. Stop trying to be religious in order to be approved by other religious people. And then Jesus, he goes on, as I read a moment ago, to cover three different areas of spiritual life that he really wants them to understand. And I think it's applicable for us as well. Verse 2, he says, when you give. Now, we know giving is biblical. He's not going to say, when you give, don't give. You know, just don't just stop. It's not what he's going to say. Because giving is biblical. Giving is commanded in the scripture. Giving is expected. It honors God. It's something good. It helps people. But not all giving is like that. Giving like the Pharisees gave, Jesus would say, well, just, just keep your money. He says, don't try to make it look like in front of people you're really doing something. Whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you. Now, we don't know if this was literal or if it was just figurative. They say, hey, you know what? Look at what I'm doing. And they drop their change in and they make sure that it rattles real good. Or they put in on top of everybody else's offering as it passes. There goes that, that $100 bill right there so everybody knows. And they hold on to it just to get down the end of the road. You know that where'd that come from there's a hundred dollar bill there you know they 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 don't there that's not the kinds of folks that jesus is approving here he says don't try to make sure people know what you're giving now i will say that when we do pass the offering plate it is a public gift is it not i mean people know if you put something in or if you don't it's not what he's talking about he's not saying well don't put anything in the offering plate because that would be a public gift isn't that a great excuse not to give oh i just can't do it because jesus said to give secretly and i'm not sure how i can do that and be totally honest that's not his point. His, his point is not don't ever give publicly. His point is are you trying to draw attention to yourself by what you're giving? What do I want in return for my giving? Do I want appreciation? Deference, if you will, somebody to sort of respect me for that? Maybe I want naming rights on a building here at church. We're going to name this the Brad J. Burns Pulpit. Right here. It's going to be a Right there. Engraved even, so it's always there. You can't take it off. 
Even if y'all fire me, you can't take that off of there. You know, maybe, maybe we want recognition of some kind. Maybe, maybe we, we just want people to, to appreciate what we've done. And Jesus says, hey, you gotta, well, you gotta slow down there. Because, you know what, when you receive that, what does he say? You've got your reward. It's all you're gonna get. He says, if you're, if you're giving is so that people will think you're generous, if your giving is done so that people will think that you're religious and you're something special and, oh boy, I tell you what, I'm so glad I know them, then that's all the reward that you'll get. He says instead to get off the stage and just meet needs, he says. Look what he says. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, but when you give, do it in secret. Just don't worry about it. Just give. Just meet needs that you see. No announcement. No social media posts about it. Look at me giving. Here I am. You know, you know it, isn't it interesting how, how our celebrity culture, we, we so love it when somebody will sacrifice money or whatever, but how do we know that they did it? Because they make an announcement about it, right? Do you know what reward they have? That. It's all that they get. But we're, we're subtly no different, though, are we? When we post something about, hey, I saw this person the other day, and you know, you take a picture of the person that you gave some money to, boy, I just hope that the Lord blesses them, and so on. I'm so grateful to be used by God in this way. I'm just, boy, really humbled to, you know, to be able to help in this way. And I just wanted all of you to know about it so that you can like and comment on what I just posted. Do you see the, the, I mean, Jesus is talking about it, the hypocrisy of it. He says, essentially, just give, just meet needs. Whether people know or not is not really your concern. The idea is I see a need. God moves my heart. I, I meet the need by giving. And that's the end of the story till the next time God presents the same opportunity and we just repeat it. And I'll leave the reward up to God. He says, your father who sees in secret will reward you. What does that mean? I don't know. I really don't. Maybe you're rewarded by just the pleasure and the presence of God. Is that not enough? Maybe God does something in your life and, and you know, oh, okay. All right, God, I see where you're at. I don't know how he rewards you. I can't guarantee you that. Any TV preacher that tells you otherwise is lying because he doesn't know either. I don't know what God is going to do. But it does say that I can trust him that his reward is going to be better and beyond anything I could receive because his reward will last. Then he brings up prayer. In verse 5, he says, whenever you pray, now of course the same thing is true. Prayer is good, prayer is biblical, prayer is commanded and so on. But there, is, there are prayers that are useless. He says, whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. Because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Now, I recognize that this morning we have some folks here who say, this is not a problem for me. I refuse to pray out loud in front of anybody. This is not a problem. You will never, you will never catch me being, being caught up in praying so that other people will hear me. Because I will not pray whether people can hear me. I'm not going to do it. My question, rhetorically, I suppose, would be if you are deathly terrified of praying in front of other people, follow me, what, what makes you so deathly terrified? Is it because, well, I don't know what to say, and they're going to think I'm an idiot. Then we are worried about the opinions of other folks, are we not? And we're right back to the hypocritical side of things. So perhaps... It still applies even if you're a person who says, I'll never pray out loud in front of people. Why? Because I'm worried about what they're going to think. It's the same thing on the other side of the coin. There you go. So even if you don't pray out loud, maybe it applies. What he says is when you pray, 
Don't be like the hypocrites, those people that like to perform. A hypocrite just means a person on a stage, an actor. They love to stand and pray where they can be seen. What they were doing was they would, they would be on their way to the prayer times. They had certain times a day where they'd all go to the synagogue and pray. And what these Pharisees would do is they would, they would stop on the street corner and they would start praying right there. They couldn't even wait to get to the synagogue. They're so excited about prayer. Just so excited to be in the presence of God. And let me tell you, I just, I got to pray right now. And that's what they would do. They would stop right there and they'd sort of gather everybody around. Hey, look, I'm going to pray. Because I can't wait to get to the synagogue. I'm so spiritual and so in, in tune with God. I can't wait. So I'm going to pray right here. Is everybody cool with that? They didn't care if they were cool with that. Look, let me show you. And then they would pray these incredible prayers. All these great words they would use. And they would never say, uh, or um, or lose their train of thought. Or they would never do anything like that. And they would always know exactly how to wrap it up. And man, they would cover all the basics. And man, you'd be so impressed with their prayers. And that's what they were going for, is that you would be impressed by how they prayed. And they would pray longer than everybody else. They would repeat these phrases and so on that must be certainly in in line with what God wanted. They used all the right words and they prayed for this long time and they never stumbled and all those things. And Jesus saw right through it. He says, don't pray like that. Don't, 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 don't pray like that. They just want to impress people, he says. They don't care if God really hears. I mean, they, they don't even know God's not hearing their prayer because, well, listen to this prayer. God must hear it. I mean, that's incredible, right? And Jesus says, now, nah, God tuned out a long time ago. He ain't listening. The only people impressed by those kinds of prayers are the people that don't know God isn't listening anymore. Now, how do we fall into this? I think we still do, although we may not be standing on the street corners trying to gather a crowd to listen to us pray. I think I think sometimes we believe, as Jesus says here, talking about the words that they'll use and so on, we believe sometimes that there's a formula to prayer that can and must be used. And if it's used, then boy, we're really getting to the heart of God now. We just pray like this and so on. Or maybe we pray the same meaningless words whenever it's our turn to pray, whether that's at church or before a meal or at bedtime or whenever. We just the same stuff over and over and over again. Or we pray in such a way that, that we're hoping the whole time that the people that are hearing us pray don't think we're an idiot. Please, God, just let me get through this. Okay, everybody. Listen, we have church council meetings. And, and, and those of you that are on the church council, you know, the way we start our meetings, I just open it up. You want to pray? Pray. I don't lead us in prayer. I just say, you want to pray? Pray. And so it is an out loud prayer. And I guarantee you that people who have been put on the spot, if you will, like that over time have said, oh, man, I tell you, all right, I'll pray. I, mean, I just hope nobody thinks I'm an idiot. That's just the way it is sometimes, isn't it? I think another way we fall into this, and hear me on this, because there's balance here, is when we get children to pray and then we congratulate them for the beauty of their prayers. Now, now, hear me. We need to teach our children to pray. And, and we need to help them understand, you know, how it is they talk to God and so on, and, and what they can pray for. But I think we need to be very, very careful that we don't inadvertently cause them to perform religiously for everybody. Does that make sense? Be careful with that. I'm always uncomfortable when we go somewhere else. Maybe we're visiting family or whatever, and, and one of our children will pray for a meal, and then, and then, then amen is said, and oh, that was so wonderful. What a great prayer. That's not the purpose, is it? 
The purpose is to connect with God, to say grace, if you will, say thank you to the Lord for our food and so on, whatever the prayer may be for. Be careful. There's balance. We need to teach them, but be careful. Jesus essentially says to them, get off the stage here. Go into your closet. He says, essentially, just seek God. That's what prayer is about. We talked about it last week, aligning my agenda with God. Just seek God. Get off the stage and just seek God. I mean, look at the model that he gave. You know the Lord's Prayer. It starts off with our Father. And then he says, Lord, you be honored. And then he talks about, Lord, you have your way. And then, Lord, by giving me just my daily bread, Lord, teach me to trust you. And God, don't lead me into temptation, but God, deliver me. Make me faithful to you. And he says, forgive me as I've forgiven others. Change my heart. And then, Lord, yours is the kingdom and the power. Lord, you take all the credit. Do you see that kind of prayer? So the idea here is to get off the stage and just seek God. And then he talks about fasting in verse 16. He says, whenever you fast, and the idea of fasting here is something that maybe is a little bit lost on us. When, when, we, when we talk about fasting, in and of itself, the purest form is, is abstaining from food for a period of time. You say, I'm abstaining from food right now. I'm fasting right now between breakfast and lunch. Okay, not, not exactly what it is. I'm fasting for an extended period of time during which I will miss some meals, if you will. That's the idea of fasting. Now, it was done by the Pharisees twice a week, and they scheduled it. They wanted everybody to know when they were fasting. They put it on a calendar. This is when we're doing it. It was law for them. It's the way they had to do it. Now, Jesus didn't ever prohibit his disciples from fasting. He taught, you know, people ask him, why don't your disciples fast? They said, look, they've got me here. Why would they be needing to fast in order to connect with God? I am God. I'm right here among them. They don't need to fast. I'm right here. But he, but he also didn't command them to fast at any particular time. He just said, whenever you do it. Biblical fasting is sort of confused sometimes and, and especially confused, I think, and, and you all know I'm very cynical about it, by the name it, claim it kind of folks. By the folks who will say, well, if you fast, then you will get God to do this, 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 and this. Um, unfortunately, he's God. He does not have to respond to me whatsoever, even if I fast the right way. Um, biblical fasting isn't done just because it's a certain day of the week or because I want God to do something for me. I, I experienced this at a, at a previous church. I was told we were going into a building program and was told by our leadership that the staff of the church, we're going to fast for a week. And I don't know if you've ever done any fasting at all, literally abstaining from food. Um, I had done a little, uh, but not a week. And so we were going to go for a full week, which I did. Um, but all along I thought, God didn't really tell me to do this. Um, I, I, there's, there's a reason here and not there, if you understand what I mean. I, it is, um, there, there are some things there that just didn't quite go, and so here I am, uh, like it or not. Um, and so, it was. Uh, if you want more of the backstory, I'll give it to you, but it, it's not real nice. And so, um, at least I'm not real nice when I tell it. Anyway, um, but but it was, it was sort of manipulated. You understand what I'm saying? It was like, okay, we're going we're gonna to do all these things so that God will bless us so that we can build this building. Biblical fasting is, you know what, I need to connect with God and there is nothing more important than my relationship with God. And there's something special. I really, I've got to hear from God. I need myself to be aligned with God. And so I'm going to spend some time abstaining from everything but God 
Everything else goes out the window but him. And so for this period of time, I'm going to seek his face like never before. And it's for this period of time because God has prompted me to do that. And that's really what I believe. I, I can't tell you going fast. I can't tell you you need to stop doing this, that, or whatever so that you can focus on God. Now, I may say, you know what? Hey, look, here's what I've done in the past. And Hank knows this. I used to take a break when I was a, when I was a teenager from all electronics. Now, this was back before, you know, smartphones and all that stuff. So it really wasn't that hard, really. I mean, you know, it was just, I'm not going to talk on a phone this week, you know, and whatever. But, but I used to do that because, you know what? I thought, man, I'm getting distracted, I, you know, just so every once in a while I would do that. But but it was one of those deals, even in doing that, I would have to tell people I'm doing it because they would call me, like, why aren't you answering the phone? Well, okay. I kind of felt awkward with it because I go back to the scripture. The point is about Jesus, what he's saying here is the Pharisees fasting was done in such a way that people would think they're really spiritual. And so what did they do? They put on this gloomy face. What's wrong with you? I'm fasting. Why are you fasting? Because I'm spiritual. I love, I love God and stuff. I mean, you know what? What? And they, they wouldn't shave or brush their teeth or comb their hair. And so they're all, you know, they're walking around. And it's, I mean, it's just awful. Jesus says, what are you doing? You got your reward. People say, oh, man, I tell you what, you are so incredible for fasting like that. Twice. I could never do that. I could never do that. I miss one meal and, man, my blood sugar's off and I'm about to fall out. And I could never do that. You're so incredibly spiritual. You know what Jesus says? They've got their reward. <laughs> And he says instead, when you do those things of self-denial for the purpose of seeking God, whether it's fasting from food or taking a break from other things like that so that you may seek God, he says, don't let anybody else know. Just act normal. Just get dressed like you normally would. Just go about your business and just live crucified, he's saying. Get off the stage. Just live crucified. Just self-denial. Just deny yourself. He says, just take up your cross daily. Just follow him. You don't have to put on a show about it. Now, when I study this, it's, it's not really hard to see what, what all these people that Jesus is talking about, all these people that he's talking about, it's not hard to see what they're trying to prove, why they're on this stage, you know. They're trying to prove, essentially, that they are enough. That they're good enough, that they're better enough than everybody else, that they're religious enough, they're devout enough. Look at me, boy, I'm really getting this done. That they are enough. Don't we all want to feel like I'm enough? I've made it. I've done it. Look at me. I'm okay. But do you realize the whole Bible, the entire Bible, start to finish, shouts a completely different message? The Bible shouts to us, you're not enough. You're not enough. Now that's the bad news. Romans chapter 3 puts it this way. Everybody has sinned and we all fall short of God's standard, God's glory. You know what that means? You ain't enough. You didn't do enough. You didn't live right. In fact, you're just born into it. Just the fact that you're born means you're not enough. Romans chapter 6 puts it this way. The wages, the payment for sin is death. Death. Okay, that's what I get for living death. The Bible also tells us that even our best things that we do are tainted, described as filthy rags before the Lord. So we don't measure up. And really all that we've ever proven to God is just that, that we're not enough. Now that's the bad news. The, the good news and, and, and the news that only Christianity will tell you 
Every other religion, every other thing will tell you that eventually you can be enough. You just try hard enough. You just keep going. You just keep plugging. You try hard enough and you'll be good enough one day. Christianity tells us from the start, from birth, we are not good enough and never can be. And then it tells us that we don't have to be. We don't have to prove that we are enough. We don't have to perform on the stage anymore. Why? Because Jesus, that's why. Because he is enough. Because his performance in life, death, and resurrection was accepted by God on my behalf and completely made up for me not being enough. It's the only faith that will tell you that. That's it. You need a proof for why Christianity is unique and different and true. Every other one tells you, you do all you can to get to God. Christianity tells you, here's all God did to get to you. You're not enough. But Jesus is. I have nothing to prove because Jesus proved it on my behalf. I can get off the stage because Jesus performed for me. So instead of trying so hard to please God, I just believe in Jesus. Instead of trying so hard to show that I'm righteous and religious, I just get off the stage and I just meet needs and I just seek God and I just live crucified. Do you see the bad news compared to the good news? That's what it means to live in God's kingdom, free from needing to prove anything, free from needing to perform, free just to love Jesus as he has loved me. That little connect card that you've got, maybe you've used it to sign up to to help for Easter and that's fine. But you, you may need some prayer this week, and you may need somebody just to say, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm there with you. Uh, this is one of the things that, that I'm going to try each week just to kind of let you have opportunity to do. I'm not going to call you out, not going to make you stand up and, and confess anything this morning. But if you say, you know what, when I hear about all this trying to prove, and here's the stage I'm on, you know what, here's what God is dealing with me. And I'm trying to prove this, or I'm done trying to prove Or my response today is just to completely give my life to Jesus. I would love to be able to pray for you and to know that and to support you as best I can and to help you. And and you can, as as I did last week, you can hand it to me as you walk out the door. I'm not going to show it to anybody else. Nobody else sees these things but me. That's why I say give it to me if you want to. Uh, you, You can leave it there in your pew if you'd like. If you just say, look, I don't want anybody even seeing that I'm handing the card to the preacher. You know, I mean, whatever. But uh, Fine. And we'll collect those. But but in some way, maybe God has put on your heart some way that, you know what, this is what I, I need to be thinking about. This is, this is what I'm believing walking out of here. This is my commitment to the Lord, to myself, that I'm no longer proving these things, whatever it may be. The bad news is that you're not enough. The good news is you don't have to be because of Jesus. Receive his grace. Receive his love today. He was enough, and God says he's the only one that can be. And so receive what he's done for you through his life, his death, and his resurrection. Let's bow for prayer. In the closing moments, if you if you want, feel free to take the time to, to complete that little card. And I'll, I'll get it from you as you walk out the door. You can leave it there in your pew, as I said. It's not